Bet365 sponsors our podcast and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favorite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalized bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Starcast, the German football pod brought to you by The Athletic. In today's edition, a partially filled Signali Duna Park gets swept away by the new wave as Jude Bellingham and Giorena play to win 3-0 and take Dortmund to 17th heaven. Hertha hit the heights, beating Werder Bremen 4-1 away. RB Leipzig make a light work of Mainz in their first league game after Timo Werner's departure, while Freiburg get the better of Stuttgart in the derby. And it's official, Schalke are even worse than Barcelona. Hello! The Bundesliga is back with a whopping 40 goals on opening weekend and supporters are back in the stadiums and the original Stahlkast double trouble duo of Christoph Biermann and Kevin Hatchard are back as well. But before I get to you guys, um, I just want to remind you, the listener, that there is a fantastic offer at the moment available, only £1 per month, a subscription for The Athletic, where you can read my exclusive interview with Timo Werner and all sorts of other stuff, including Bundesliga coverage. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash pod for your £1 a month offer. Hello. 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 How was your weekend and who did you see? Well, it was a very exciting weekend. Started off with Bayern against Schalke, uh, then took in Werder's uh, rather limp loss at home to Hertha Berlin. So that was a lot of fun. And then was on duty for uh, Wolfsburg against Leverkusen. So it was nice to be back in Germany uh, watching Bundesliga action. So two good games then. (laughs) Yeah. Just about. <laughs> Christoph? I saw, saw obviously, a Bayern, but on, only on the telly, uh, as most people did, apart from the uh, very densely populated uh, director's <laughs> <laughs> box at the Allianz Arena. Yeah, don't do this at home. And um, yes, and I, I, I actually went uh, to a stadium with supporters in there. I went to the uh, Alte Försterei. Um, Union Berlin was playing Augsburg in front of of about 5,000 people. And actually, it was really exciting to to be in a, a stadium with football fans again. Everybody was very disciplined and uh, keeping uh, distance and and so on. And and still, it was uh, yeah, it was a football match with uh, real singing and real chanting and real yeah, real football atmosphere. Although Union lost, 
at home against Augsburg. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that. How how normal was it? Was it sort of 75% normal, 50% normal? No, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say it was, was, wasn't normal at all. People that don't know about it. So the Alte Försterei is on, on three uh, side is uh, has terraces. So there is standing and people were actually standing there, but they had like marked areas where they had to go. So it wasn't like a, a standing area with the psychology of sitting where you know, oh, you have to go to row 11. And then you have to find place number 10. And then you have to to stay there. So people couldn't mix as they would normally do. Um, there was a lot of randomness how, how people were standing together, because normally, in this kind of situation, uh, people group together, they go there for eight and so on. Still, I, I liked it very, very much. And um, uh, to me, it felt a bit like a relief um, having at least a, a quarter of the people back in uh, into the stadium. It felt like a really nice first step, I thought, because it, it was, Christoph's right, it wasn't normal, but there were some normal things. So, for example, at halftime in the Verde game, 8,500 Verde fans booed the team, and that felt very normal for that to happen, a terrible performance uh, in the first half and you got a resounding boo and you thought, that's nice. That feels like a football thing to happen. So I think... Whatever it, it floats your like boat, a, Kevin. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> very niche. But, you know, I, I, it was a nice first step. And I think even the... Um, the Pokal games the weekend before, you had some examples where you had only a few hundred in the stadium, but they were able to make themselves sound like a few thousand. So having had the kind of fake noise tracks and, and kind of the almost complete silence in other games, it was actually a really nice change. So what is the situation going forward? We've had some stadiums with fans, some without. Is this sort of patchwork solution, if we even call it that, is that the way forward for the next few weeks? That it's just going to be a case by case basis everywhere in Germany? I think so. So there is a, a regulation that says football matches in front of people are not allowed if the infection rate is more than uh, 35 people within 100,000 uh, in seven days. And, and this mark was hit um, in Cologne. This mark was hit in uh, Munich, so people weren't allowed. The situation is uh, different in different parts of, of Germany. You can also see it in the second division. Some games were played in front of people, others not. And, and I think that's how it will go. Um, the Bundesliga has said that it's a kind of test phase for six weeks and then um, people want to look for uh, how to go on from there. Well, Christoph, as you said earlier, there was social distancing. There was a so social distancing problem in Munich, even though there were absolutely no fans <laughs> in the stadium. Um, the Bayern uh, directors uh, and board all sat in a couple of rows, which uh, was uh, in contradiction of DFL regulations. I think the DFL have opened an investigation. I'm sure it's going to be a very heavy fine uh, <laughs> for these people. 
Christian Seifert, the DFL boss, was uh, he was also uh, there. Yeah, he was also there, but he he kept his distance also from his uh, head of media uh, uh, guy, and uh, but but he uh, obviously he, he didn't intervene and and uh, no. were chasing the the, <laughs> the Bayern and Schalke yeah. officials. Would have been a brave man to do that. Yeah, the DFL literally had two officials in that section. <laughs> Who didn't get involved? But uh, yeah, I'm sure that, um, uh, that the punishment will will be something like I don't know. Uh, you have to go to bed at ten o'clock with them, don't watch telly or something. But uh, it'll be all right. Um, on the pitch, though, uh, no such problems for Bayern. Eight nil. Uh, they beat Schalke in Ophir. Well, they've made a habit of beating opponents quite heavily in these opening games of the season, which I think become more and more awkward for Christian Seifert, really, because he wants to you know, sell the Bundesliga abroad. There's all these people tuning in and then buy and turn up and just absolutely kill whoever dares to uh, to play against them. But let me ask something in between. I'm, I, I was wondering, why, why does it always have to be the champion? So um, probably the more interesting um, game to watch would have been uh, Dortmund against Borussia Mönchengladbach, two contenders for the title, or two contenders for the second place, or the champion behind the champion. I don't know. Is there is there a kind of iron rule that it always have to be the champion opening the no, season? No, they introduced that a few years ago, and I guess the idea is that you're going to have at least one big name as a as a massive draw. And of course, if it is Bayern. They have the most fans and a lot of people tune in. But I, I agree with you. I think um, it's getting to the point where they're just running out of opponents um, that could, could put up any kind of reasonable resistance. Um, and they don't want to put on a, a game that's too big in a way. Uh, I think between Bayern and Dortmund, for example, because that would be you know not not wise as far as the uh, the drama, the narrative of the season is concerned. So I think you might be right. I think we we might be looking at um, say Hertha Werder next year. No, no Werder, not quite. <laughs> Werder, not quite the same. It was uh, fun. Same bracket. It was fun. But let, let's talk about Bayern Schalke first a little bit. Yeah. I think we, we maybe try to talk us into took ourselves into the idea that Bayern might not win the league this year because they're still at least one winger short. They only have two at the moment. They don't have a right back, a proper one anyway, only a centre-back playing there at the moment. Thiago is gone and the midfield is, is still very, very good, but perhaps is missing that kind of player. But then I guess Schalke are not really in a position to take advantage of Oli, any of these supposed issues were they i think supposed is the word rafa because i still think they're incredibly strong i think they don't have the coach dramas we've seen in recent seasons if you look at some of the wobbles they've had that their rivals haven't taken advantage of carlo ancelotti there were concerns about the intensity and then he went Niko Kovac, there were concerns over his tactical acumen at the very highest level, and he went, but there aren't any of those concerns over Hansi Flick at the moment. Yes, there's still an open question about David Alaba's future at the club, but you look at the variation of the attack, you look at the work rate without the ball, and they still look so, so good. And as awful, as almost indescribably awful as Schalke were, 
Bayern still managed to be very, very impressive. Serge Gnabry still looks sensational. He's edging towards that real proper top level, I think. I think the thing that stood out to me about Leroy Sané was how selfless he was, always trying to set up teammates. There might have been an element of not wanting to punish his old club Schalke in that, but he failed in that <laughs> regard because he ended up contributing to an 8-0. So I thought Couldn't it was very himself. impressive. No, exactly. And I think as well, what really stood out to me about Bayern's performance... You listen to Serge Gnabry, who got a hat-trick afterwards. He was talking about that Rabona assist that Lewandowski came up with for Müller's goal. And he said, I was quite angry with Lewandowski because he took too long and I thought he should have scored. And he had that. And then when they talked to Hansi Flick afterwards, he said, yeah, well, we won 8-0 and that was great, but we could have had three or four more in the first half. And I love that. It's that relentlessness. It's that desire to absolutely smash every team they play. Let me try out a probably a bit heretic idea. You, you were saying that uh, Schalke was awful, and and obviously uh, they they weren't they weren't uh, playing well. But what if the main problem was that Bayern Munich was so good? So it's a bit the the chicken and the egg problem. But uh, is a one team so good or the other team so bad? But my impression is that maybe we're seeing here. Rafa is probably the expert to judge it. Maybe we're seeing here the best Bayern team ever, and um, they are they are so impressive. They are so full of talent and. They have this, what you said, relentlessness. Uh, they they just don't stop, and and I think uh, Schalke could have been happy that they it wasn't two digit because um, yeah, Bayern was so good and they created a lot more chances and and so on. So uh, is that too crazy? I think you're right, Christoph. Um, as we all can remember, bigger and better teams have lost heavily to Bayern not long ago, also conceding eight goals. Um, so. Perhaps Schalke were made to look much worse than they truly are by this by this truly amazing Bayern team. The the only issue I have with Bayern is that I do think they're a little bit light. I, I do think there's a there's a lack of depth. And when you look at how the season is going to progress, um, you know you take out one of the front three: Lewandowski, Gnabry. Sane, and at the moment there's absolutely no replacement. Okay, you can play Xerxes up front, maybe you can put Müller on the wings, but there is no one to can step in at a similar level. And the same is probably true in, in midfield if you have either Goretzka or Kimmich out, which might happen or might have to happen for, for rotation reasons. So that, that, is my, that is my slight bind concern at the moment. And I think Hansi Flick agitating so publicly Uh, for these additions shows you that I think he he shares those concerns as well. I thought it was really interesting that they decided not to pursue a permanent deal for Ivan Perisic because he'd been so successful. Um, not surprisingly so, but I, I think the consistency of his performances was perhaps surprising. I think it's exciting maybe that some of the kids are developing, but it's a big gap to bridge. And I think Leon Goretzka's echoed your concerns, Rafa, because he said, if we have the success we want to have, we're going to be playing all these games. And I do worry physically how we're going to deal with that. 
and we might have to change maybe how we play in terms of the intensity without the ball. I can't see Hansi Flick accepting that because it's been the bedrock of everything that they've done in the last few months. So I think they are going to need to sign one or two before the end of the window. Just to address Christoph's point about Schalke, yes, a lot of teams get battered by Bayern, but I thought they were borderline negligent in the second half. Simple balls down the centre that nobody was defending. Defensive line was awful. There was no pressure in midfield. But they started okay. Gonzalo Paciencia worked hard, looked okay. Had that early shot that Neuer saved. But that did not look to me like a team that's playing for its coach. And you've also got to bear in mind all these guys who've come back from loans. Mark Oot was at Köln having a great time at his hometown club. But that didn't get turned into a permanent deal. And he's back at Schalke. Ben Taleb's come back. He's had discipline problems at the club. Uh, he's been busted down to the second team before. Uh, you look at Sebastian Rudi. He's publicly slated the club when he's been away from it. And now suddenly he's back and hasn't got a move elsewhere. So you've got several players there. Are they really on the same page? It looked like an absolute mess to me. And I thought they let themselves down. I thought they let the fans down. Hi there, I'm Mark Chapman from the Athletics Ornstein and Chapman podcast and I'm here to tell you that this show is brought to you by Hims. If you haven't heard of them, they're basically your best mate when it comes to those tricky men's health problems. Now, balding is an awkward topic for men, yet a lot of us start to lose our hair before we hit 40. And the best way to take control of hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some. Hims was created to make it easier for guys to seek care, especially guys who avoid seeing their doctor in person for awkward health issues. Not everyone wants to have personal conversations face-to-face with a stranger in a white coat. So, Hims connects you to real doctors online, which could save you hours. It's completely confidential and discreet. You'll get a proper consultation and they'll give you sound advice on what you can do to help your hair before it's too late. It couldn't be easier to book your free consultation. Just go to forhims.co.uk slash athletic. So that's F-O-R-H-I-M-S, F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot co.uk slash athletic. And you can also listen to me on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. It's myself, David Ornstein, and the athletic stable of expert writers bring you unrivaled insight into the biggest stories in the game every single week. Well, Christoph has been telling us that Schalke are well on their way to being the new Hamburger SV uh, months ago. And uh, they have now emulated their, um, their idols by losing 8-0 against Bayern, which is something that Hamburg did uh, twice in the last uh, five years uh, and, although, yeah. and they also had a, a, a they were also losing a 2-9 at Munich uh, so, so. <laughs> yeah that's the next one to go for um, from Schalke's point of view but uh, one one more word on Schalke I mean we saw Clemens Tonyas back in the director's box um, he no longer holds any uh, official position at the club but yet he is still again looking um looking like he is actually the, the figure and the face of this of this club the problem is really are not just confined to the pitch are they Christoph? um so uh, um, i think uh, clemens tonius was invited by bayern munich uh, maybe personally by uli hoeneß because they are both in the meat business um 
um, Clement Sonnies as a slaughter and uh, um, Uli Hoeneß as somebody who is, uh, whose companies are making sausages. So, um, but I think the main or one of the problems uh, that Schalke has is um, after Clemens Tönnies uh, is gone. It's not only the financial problems uh, Schalke are having. It's it's also Clemens Tönnies uh, left a kind of void. So you're you're actually um, asking yourself who is leading the uh, the the club right now his successors um have been very low pri profile in public so so far you have the feeling that nobody is actually knowing uh, which direction to take and um uh, but but the main issue um is the money obviously i think even if if uh, if if kevin is right and players probably are not happy about uh, david wagner and so on or uh, maybe uh, the story is is uh, over because they haven't been winning for months and and so on so on probably they don't even have the money to to sack the coach not good at all i'm i'm struggling to find an upbeat uh, link here. <laughs> An upbeat link after Schalke. Oh, the big city <laughs> ambitions of Hertha, surely. Uh, yeah. Surely let's just let's care. just move on. Let's just move on to to a, a club that used to be the source of, of of a bit of fun and maybe pity as well in the past, but are now actually doing quite well. And I'm talking, of course, of Hertha BSC. Four-one win at the Weser Stadion. Kevin, you were there. Well. It remotely to see it. Um, how good were Hertha? I thought they were great. I thought they were really impressive. Uh, if you look at the debacle the weekend before, when they lost to Eintracht Braunschweig 5-4 in the cup, uh, the big problem they had was defensive. And so Jordan Tarunariga was back from suspension. Dedrick Boyata was back from injury. And they were sensational. Boyata has been a really important player for them uh, since Bruno Labbadia got there. He described him as a quiet leader. And he's absolutely right. He's not going to be screaming at everybody. But he leads by example. He's so difficult to beat uh, in one-on-one -on -one situations. He's so good in the air as well. They played with a plan. Darida played very well in midfield. Luca Tussau, who's gone there uh, from Lyon, uh, was quietly effective doing all the dirty work so others didn't have to. And then you look at Cunha buzzing around, doing his thing in attack, looked a constant threat. Christoph Piontek's had a nudge because John Cordoba's come in and is a direct threat to his position. He played well, hit the bar in the first half. And then Cordoba came on after an hour and did very John Cordoba things. First thing he did was um, go into a challenge with Nicolas Moisander. Moisander could not deal with him at all. He was trying to wrestle him. He was trying to grab him. He was trying to pull him over. And he ended up taking Moisander out. And that led to a goal directly. And then Cordoba had chances to score, eventually did get his goal. I think he's going to be great for them. And I think Labadee is the right coach for them. They had all of the drama, all of the chaos last season. He's an organiser. And what he will do is he will take a team from being in relegation danger and then he'll take them to being what they want to be right now, which is around about top six qualify for the Europa League. What happens after that, we'll see. But so far, I think Labadee has done really well. Yeah, I don't think we can disagree with that. Uh, but uh, Florian Kohfeldt, uh, Christoph, uh, I think we all want to believe in him. Uh, we all <laughs> want to feel that he is going to sort things out but he seems to be getting into this twilight zone where 
coaches make changes and have ideas, and I'm sure for good reasons, and they convince themselves that they're doing the right thing, but it just doesn't work out, and then they have to change again. And I think there's a big danger that you lose a lot of credibility uh, making so many frequent changes. Here we're another one, um, you know, uh, taking off uh, Osako after just 45 minutes. I think there was a, even a cheer in the crowd, um, Kevin, when, when, when he came off. So uh, what's going on with, with him? Surely the, Werder must be able to play a little bit better. What I found interesting is they had a good preparation for the season, winning uh, almost uh, all matches or, or, or technical, really all matches. And um, and I think there was a, a general feeling that after this uh, experience of, of, of the um, of relegation fight and, and uh, uh, going to, to the playoffs against Heidenheim and so everybody with this experience experience uh, learned a lot from it and so on and so on and then you start the season and uh, you don't only lose but you see that there is a enormous gap of of of, of quality between a Hertha that um, I agree with uh, Kevin is is a contender for the uh, first uh, third of the table this season uh, but but still and and yeah there is a lot of working from here and there trying things and and so on and so on there is a big patience among um, Werder Bremen supporters who want their, not only their team to succeed but also they want Kofeld to succeed because they see him um, as one of them but uh, yeah, but it's. Uh, whew, I think they they were facing another very difficult season. I think Frank yeah. Bauman, the sporting director, has got a lot to answer for. To be honest, because there's a lot of focus on Kofel, and I think it's great that Verde stuck by him, and I think there is a lot of goodwill towards Kofel. We want him to do well. He seems a very bright young coach. We've seen the kind of football he can play how much that was influenced by Max Cruiser being there. Well, you know, it's looking more and more like he was the kind of bedrock of that good spell. But you look at the players they've brought in, a lot of the young guys they've brought in haven't kicked on. Some of them haven't even made it to the first team and have just kind of disappeared. And I just think Irma Toprak, that hasn't worked out. He's had a lot of injuries. I know that's nobody's fault, but you looked at his injury record before. That always felt like a risk. Uh, Davy Zelka, I think, is a good player, and I hope it works out for him. I've got a lot of time for Davy Zelka and the way he approaches things. But he hasn't worked out yet, and there have been more failures than successes. And you get the sense that somebody somewhere along the line is going to have to carry the can. It's either going to be Bauman or it's going to be Kofeld. And usually how these things go is it's the coach rather than the sporting director. Which brings us on to Borussia Dortmund. No, I think that'd be unfair. <laughs> that'd be unfair. Um, not this week. Not this week. No further discussion this week because Dortmund... Oh, Dortmund. probably next week again. <laughs> <laughs> Dortmund played really well. I, I wasn't totally convinced by them. I must admit, I thought that, that Borussia were beaten a little bit um, too heavily relative to, to the chances that they had and to the, the kind of game that they played. I think Marco Rosa felt the same. But, I mean, going forward with Sancho, with Haaland, with Reina, with Bellingham behind them, there is so much going on. Royce coming off the bench, a Brunt coming off the bench. I mean, 
it is hard not to get excited about the Storben team, isn't it, Christoph? What we also already discussed in the before the start of the season, they can be a very entertaining side, and they were on on Saturday, and they deserve to win it against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Although I agree that three nil was a bit um, too heavy of a defeat for 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 Gladbach, but. But still, I have my doubts uh, over over a long season. This team, the youth of this team, uh, creates a, a lot of excitement. And we had the story of the uh, youngest goal um, in the history of the Bundesliga when Bellingham was providing the ball for Reina and and uh, and and so on. But two seventeen-year-olds, uh, in, in case you didn't get the pun in the intro. And and they, but on the other hand side, uh, it's a long season. It will be a difficult season. It will be a a, um, a more a, a more difficult season uh, than normal. Um, and and I think that uh, uh, the use of of these players can can be also a burden during this process. I'm I'm not sure about it. I hope not. I I I would be happy if they. They would manage to uh, create this kind of excitement um, all over the season, but stability uh, is is my main concern. Now, my main concern is actually still the defensive uh, part of you. Yes, they have brought in Thomas Munier to add a bit of uh, grey hair. Uh, you would say <laughs> in, 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 at Silicon Valley, even though of course his, his hair is very luscious and, and not grey at all. But in in metaphorical terms. But what what I still don't like about this Dortmund team is that they just, apart from the first five minutes where they actually pressed really high, they just tend to sit and wait for things to happen. They're all about cutting out the passing angles, you know, being in good positions, waiting for things to break down and then to counterattack. I just, I, I'm just not sure if that's still the way to do it in 2020. Well, that's Favre ball, isn't it? That's what he's always done. If you look at his teams at Gladbach, when they were at their best, they were counter-punchers. And that's just in his nature, I think. And, you know, the great example of that was the Haaland second goal, because that was a magnificent counter-attack when you have players like Sancho and cover that amount of ground in from that a corner. short time. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's probably the epitome of what Favre likes to do. I also have concerns about the goalkeeper and have done for ages. And I get a lot of stick for this because a lot of Dortmund fans are, are very much in Burki's camp. I have never felt he is a title-winning goalkeeper and I still don't. I think he makes good saves as we saw against Gladbach. He does make important saves, but he makes errors. And I go back to last season and I think about that game against Leipzig, for example, where they were dominant for big Parts of that game should have been out of sight, should have won the game, and he made two horrific mistakes. And I just think you cannot win a title if you don't have a more secure goalkeeper. And it's not just down to him. They have made defensive improvements. Mats Hummels has come in, Emre Chan's come in to just stiffen up that team a bit. But I do believe until they get a better goalkeeper, it's going to be hard for them to beat Bayern to the title. Hi there, I'm David Ornstein, host of the Athletics Ornstein and Chapman podcast. And I'm here to tell you about Manscaped, the expert in men's 
below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. And you can also listen to me on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. It's myself, Mark Chapman, and the Athletics stable of expert writers, bringing you unrivaled insight into the biggest stories in the game every single week. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be hard for Leipzig as well. Uh, they did win 3-1 against Mainz um, in their first game without Timo Werner. Uh, they made up for it with a, some with some good performances in midfield, especially um, a slightly different system, more of a, um, a 4-3-3 system, I think maybe it's fair to say. Forsberg in particular had a very, very, very good game. Um, also in front of uh, eight and eight and a half thousand fans. Are those fears about Leipzig, you know, struggling to replace Werner and, and having maybe reached a plateau? Are they, are they perhaps overblown? I think Mainz was not the team to test it. What, what you could see, it was a, um, a good performance by, by Leipzig. Um, they were the much better team. Maybe they should have scored more. And, um, but, uh, but I think uh, if, if we want to see how good this Leipzig team is without uh, Timo Werner, we have to wait for other opponents uh, to see. I think it's interesting that Nagelsmann talks about spreading the goals around because I think that's the only way they're going to do it. And I think they maybe will look at Marcel Zabitzer to keep, keep contributing from that area. I thought Forsberg played well and it'll be interesting to see how big a role he has going forwards. They have got exciting forward options. Hwang's come in from Salzburg. I think he'll get goals in the Bundesliga. I think he'll do uh, really, really well. They do need another striker, I think certainly to kind of push Yusuf Palsen. The big question for them is going to be, they are tough to beat. Are they going to be able to turn draws into wins? Because for most of 2020, they just haven't been able to do that. And so he's going to have to find a way, especially against teams that sit deep and dare Leipzig to play through them. He's going to have to find a way of blowing those teams away on a more regular basis because they drop points that they really shouldn't drop. Yeah, I think that is absolutely fair. And before we go, I just want to touch briefly on the uh, newly promoted teams. Bielefeld, perhaps surprising, one or two doubters, but getting a very good point uh, away to Eintracht Frankfurt. 1-1 one, one draw there, but Stuttgart not quite as successful. Uh, they lost 3-2 at home to Freiburg in the uh, Baden-Württemberg derby, or one of the derbies, uh, with Karlsruhe not being there at the moment. Christoph, you talked about and you wrote about the promotion paradox. Uh, what you we were arguing is that teams who get promoted are, you know, are successful because of their great attacking football in the second division, but then they have to change almost by 180 degrees and become defensively solid sides. I guess Stuttgart are a really good example of that on Saturday. 
Yeah, and but but on the other hand side, I I found them a bit unlucky. I mean, there is still this mystery going on uh, about Freiburg, how um, how they get so so much um, out of um, so, so little, little. <laughs> so little uh, um, uh, goal chances. So um, sometimes I have the feeling every time they show up in in the opponent's twenty uh, yard box, they score. Um, and on the other hand side, I think Stuttgart has at 27 shots and um, and also if you look at the expected goals they were a bit better so they would have deserved a, a draw but you're right um, they they showed problems in, in in defending and if you compare that to um, Arminia Bielefeld when they're playing at, at Frankfurt I think Arminia Bielefeld was a bit lucky to uh, go away with a with a point but um, they were very good in defending in the in the second division they it was one of their uh, strengths and 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 I think maybe we see that and uh, not not with some as much exciting football as as uh, Stuttgart might be able to produce but uh, let's see what what kind of approach is um, more sustainable over the next weeks and months and over the uh, over the season Bielefeld feel a bit more balanced to me maybe I, I think if you look at a team like Paderborn that came up they they came up a bit of a wild west shootout they'll take anybody on but in the end, it just wasn't enough. And that was understandable because they didn't have the quality. I think Bielefeld are very well coached, well organised. And I think they may well be better suited to picking up points in the in the first few weeks than maybe Stuttgart are because the balance of that team, a lot of kids in that team, a lot of good young players, but a lot of young players. I just wonder, it might take Matarazzo a little while just to get the balance right of that team in the Bundesliga. Yeah, I think that's fair. Before we go, we should just mention, Kevin, as you did briefly, that you watched Wolfsburg against Leverkusen. Um, that was a nil-nil. <laughs> wow. So um, I think that is enough. We have mentioned them and yeah. can now conclude the pod for this week. Thank you very much, uh, Christoph and Kevin, for coming on. Thank you very much, listener. And uh, we'll hope to catch up with you next week again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.